show is here. Yo, our mission is clear. It's time to change healthcare. Have no fear. Today is the day. This is the hour. Together, you know we've got the power. Drop the silos. We're all the same team. Experience, business, tech, and marketing. How can anyone be satisfied with the way things have always been? Yeah, we tried. So join us now. Join the revolution. Consumer first health is the evolution. Status quo, more like status. No. Yeah, this is the healthcare rep. Y'all, come on, let's go. New choices, new platforms, new care models. In the healthcare of tomorrow, consumers win. But who will design it? What will it look like? And how long will it take? We're here to answer those questions with some provocative thinking about how to create the healthcare that people actually want. Ready to roll up your sleeves, look at the world a little differently, and explore the frontiers of consumer health together? Join us. This is the Healthcare Wrap. Welcome back. I'm Jared Johnson from Shift Forward Health, and today's bonus episode was recorded live at NESHCO, the New England Society for Healthcare Communications. Paul Fahey from Smith & Jones was on site in Boston for NESHCO's annual conference, and he had a chance to speak with several guests. First up is what patient-centered language really means with the one, the only, Ahavalib tag. Over to you, Paul. Yeah, thanks, Jared. It's a great conference so far. We're having a great time in uh, Boston. And kicking things off this morning uh, was our keynote, Ahava Liebtag, uh, from the AHA group. And it's kind of funny. I had an opportunity to introduce her here uh, as the keynote, but also we were supposed to do this last year, but both of us tested positive for COVID. And so now this is the 2022-2023 combination keynote and, and introductions. I think many of your listeners are familiar with her. She's all healthcare, all content, all the time. So here we are at Neshko. And Ahava, welcome. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. And so... Your keynote was on the subject of what patient-centered language really means. So for the folks that couldn't be here at NESHCO, summarize your keynote for me. You know, creating that patient-centered language. Maybe start with what's that gap between sort of our content and the patient? Where are we at now? Yeah, so I think patient-centered language could also be called plain language, but it has three discrete parts of it that I think, unfortunately, we sometimes miss when we're talking to physicians, academics, our colleagues about what it's really designed to do. So the three parts are, can people find the information that they're looking for? Can they understand that information? And then can they act upon it? And so what that means as marketers and maybe digital first thinkers is that, are we using the right terms that are going to draw people out of the SEO funnel? So matching intent with the vocabulary that our patients use. Are we building easy to scan web pages so that people can find the information that they need? So that's the find part of it. Then the understand part of it is, are we using language that enables people to understand what they're reading, shorter sentences, chunks? And then also when we're talking to a more physician-elevated audience or giving people really academic information, are we using technical terms that they understand but still keeping the sentences short, still keeping the construction of sentences in the active voice, still keeping people reading as they move along. And then in terms of design and the words that we use for calls to action so that people can act upon the information that they find, are we making sure that they're designed, that the imagery matches, that the colors indicate where people should act, um, that the calls to action are clear about what's going to happen after the jump. So that's basically what I talked about. And also really tried to tell stories about how it's important to think about the person on the other end of the screen because 
they're using this content to make a decision. And if we start talking to them about how great we are or using, you know, like words like multidisciplinary or world class, we're not building trust. And when we don't build trust with people, they're going to bounce off that page like a rubber ball. So we talk a lot on the podcast about um, healthcare consumerism and this rise of this empowered consumer. What are their needs and wants? You know, what is it that they want? I mean, they're, they're not a homogenous group. There are some folks that still say, hey, you went to medical school, fix me. And yet I think increasingly, and in, in the folks that you're talking about um, are more self-basing. They are taking a more active role. But tell me a little bit more. Who is that person on the other side of the screen? Yeah, so I think when we talk about healthcare consumerism, we're talking about people trying to make their appointments online, manage their health records, sort of avail themselves of the technologies and services that they've gotten used to from other industries, like buying an airline ticket, uh, renting a car, that kind of thing. The problem with healthcare today is that there's a huge rise of misinformation, and it seems like a very confusing place. Um, People because of their insurance, are limited in boxes by what they're able to decide to do. Uh, there's cost associated with different healthcare visits that they don't know about. So, you know, the No Surprises Act tried to get away from that, but we don't see a lot of compliance in that area. And so I think when we talk about the rise of healthcare and consumerism, we have to make a distinction between the ease that people want to move around a healthcare system with, with what they're trying to understand what to do about their health. And unfortunately, because of how immersed we are as healthcare marketers and communicators in what we do, we often forget that this is completely foreign to people. And it's only, I think, after people have had their own health issue or a legal issue where they had to learn new jargon to move through a system, you know, or they had some other complex thing that they had to do. It's hard to be empathetic to how hard it is to navigate this system. So I think what we have to focus on is you know, all the technology pieces and getting people through the door and making sure we're protecting their privacy, that's one part of consumerism. But the other part that I think we really need to focus on is gaining back trust from the American public that healthcare is safe, that it's efficacious or effective, uh, to use a plainer word, and that, you know, we're interested in taking care of them and, and not making it so hard to navigate. So as we, as marketers, work to develop this content, we rely on our subject matter experts. And these are revered, well-educated scholars. These are physicians. These are scientists. And so they can't help themselves but use that scientific jargon. And I think that that's, the, that's where they're coming from. How do we shift that? You know, how do we get them to adopt that sense of patient-centered language, the literacy levels we need to write to, beyond just our role as editors? So the first thing that I would say is that it's, defining jargon has to be about are we using vocabulary because patients develop coping strategies and they learn about different health issues. So, for instance, somebody hurts their knee. This is something I talked about in the keynote. They're going to start looking and they're going to figure out it's in ACL and ACL re- reconstruction and ACL surgery. So. When physicians want to use accurate medical terms, I don't have a problem with that. I think that that's actually appropriate because you're educating the patient or the family or the caregiver at the same time that you're letting them know what their choices are. I think where we get into trouble is when we use hyperbole like world-class, cutting-edge, multidisciplinary, and we don't actually explain how that affects 
what that does to patient care. So for example, we don't use multidisciplinary at AHA Media Group. We'll say a team approach to care because we're getting at the same meaning without throwing a fancy word when a two-penny word would be actually, or a, a two-penny term would actually, I think, make this, the smoothness of the reading easier. And so when we're talking to doctors, I think one of the very important things that we try to do is remind them that this content is for a patient. If this is conditions, treatments, centers, you know, centers of excellence, departments, content, this is not for your colleagues. Your colleagues are not gonna go to these pages and read the content. They're looking for referral information or they're looking for any research you've done on either you know disease states or you know pathways to care, that kind of thing. So from my perspective, when we're talking to doctors, what we're really trying to do, or subject matter experts, academics, is try to get them to understand who the content is for. If the content is for their audience, for their you know, equals or colleagues, then we try to talk to them about making pages easily scannable, adding in graphics, adding in pictures, making it easier. And I have to say, I've been doing this for over 20 years. Wow. And what I found is that the doctors get it now. Like there's not as much, you know, explaining that you have to do. It's where you get into trouble either with public relations professionals or other marketing colleagues who might want to make it sound smarter because that's the what we were trained to do. That just doesn't work anymore. The world has changed too much. If people are getting healthcare information from TikTok, you better not use a word like multidisciplinary. It's just not going to work anymore. And so we need to evolve along with the way the audience has evolved in terms of language. The other thing I always say is that we have to remember that language is a tool, which therefore makes it a technology. And we're used to technology evolving and changing. Language is the same way. Our brains are primed to learn language, but we use it to communicate with each other. And so if we don't go along with the changes that it inevitably is going to have throughout society, we're not keeping up with what our customers need. Yeah, and as I was um, certainly paying attention to your keynote, but watching live on Twitter, some of the colleagues were, were live tweeting, and one of them quoted you as saying, using bigger words doesn't make you sound more credible. In fact, it sounds like, you know, it's it's going to be off-putting to the average and now increasingly empowered patient. So, Ahavalibtig, um, thank you. Great to have you on the podcast. If we wanted to learn more about this, where are we going to see you on stage next? Where can we find you online? Sure. So, oh my gosh, I'm going to five different places in the next um, few weeks, but where am I going to be on stage next? Um, probably at HCIC. I, I don't think I'm speaking again until then, but you can. we have tons of videos on YouTube. Just look on the AHA Media Group channel. I give a workshop where I teach a lot of this information so you can have a custom workshop for your team. I'm always you know, happy to get inquiries through email and I'm happy to set up time to talk to you about whatever content issues you're having. I just want to say, I hope I didn't sound too didactic. I'm very like passionate about this stuff. And I, I think that, you know, everybody listening is just as committed to making sure that we're giving people what they need. I had a life-threatening illness. I had a daughter that I had to navigate through a life-threatening illness. And so it makes me just feel like I can stand in the shoes of somebody who's in pain and really remember that they're just trying to make the best decision for themselves. And I think that when you say that to doctors and when you say that to academics and when you say that to your colleagues, it completely changes the tenor in the room. And I think that you know we can all get to a place where we're going to be really proud of all the content that we see on our websites and in our social media, et cetera. Ahava Liebteg, thank you. Keynote speaker, Neshco 2023. Great to have you here in Boston. And Jared, we'll turn it back to you in the studio. 
Next up, a panel discusses how Hebrew senior life is reimagining home, health, and community for older adults. I'll turn it back over to Paul to introduce the panel. Thanks, Jared. Yeah, and on day two of the conference, attendees had a chance to hear a fabulous presentation. Let me just bring in a few folks for, for this conversation. We're here talking with Jason Smith, director of OHO Interactive, his colleague Jim Doglish, uh, director of user experience and research strategy, also with OHO Interactive, and Terry Robinson, senior director, communications and content from Hebrew Senior Life. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for having us. Hi there. Terry, let me start with you. The presentation that you folks did, and this was fabulous, you were co-presenters standing room only on revolutionizing care, Hebrew senior life, reimagining home health and community for older adults. So tell us a little bit about Hebrew senior life and what was that light bulb moment for you that really started you down a different path, realizing I think the, the needs of patients weren't really even clear to them perhaps? Yeah, so Hebrew Senior Life is a nonprofit uh, provider of senior health care and services um, and communities in greater Boston. We also um, do clinical research and teaching as a Harvard Medical School affiliate. Um, we have about 2,600 employees and uh, six locations in greater Boston and then reach more people um, you know, through, our, through our research and teaching. So what we realized... Um, through the research that uh, Jim and the team at OHO did is that users were coming to us really not knowing what they needed. They, they came to our website and they weren't sure, you know, they might say, well, mom's having problems with memory care, but I don't know what she needs. Does she just need some help in the home? Does she need to move somewhere? Does she need to be diagnosed? What does she need? And our old website was not doing a good job of helping people figure that out, especially at a time of crisis when there's a ton of confusing options and it's an emotional time in their lives. Um, and so we really needed to do a better job of, of helping them in that time of need. So I think one of the initial steps that you had shared during this presentation for the folks listening that, that couldn't be here was really digging into those personas and, and kind of getting a sense of, you know, the different types of audiences and what their needs and wants were. So tell me a little bit about that process. Jim, do you want to... Take, take the persona question? Yeah, definitely. We spent a lot of time doing um, ethnographic interviews with, uh, well, getting a 360-degree view of the users of the website and the customers of Hebrew Senior Life. So we spent a lot of time interviewing them and surveying them to figure out what their needs were, what their behaviors were, um, how they were using websites, what their attitudes were, what their fears were. You know, fear really motivated a lot of the, the users. You know, the fear of growing older or having to, tear, to take care of a, a parent who is, is aging. Um, and we took the various customer segments and boiled them down into some really manageable personas, uh, such as, you know, uh, seniors looking for... Um, residences was one of the uh, was one of the personas we could really look into the personas and look at their needs uh, their journeys at each step of the way um, through first hearing about Hebrew senior life all the way through becoming a resident so that we could really show uh, where the website was needed and how it was used and plus all the other marketing materials as well and how it could appeal for these uh, various very specific user personas and this is all work that you've done sort of during and post-pandemic, is that correct? 
we launched our website right before the pandemic. So the, the research really happened pre-pandemic. Um, but I think if anything, it's only heightened. <laughs> Everything that we learned from the research got even more intense. You know, there are more, more things to, you know, be concerned about, but also what we learned during the pandemic from, you know, talking to our users and our, and the people looking for services is people who wanted to live in our communities weren't necessarily concerned about safety anymore. They're still making a lifestyle decision. They assume things are safe because we were pushing the safety message, safety, safety. They said like, I, I know you got that covered, but like, tell me like, who am I going to be friends with? Like how, what is it going to be like to live here? So we had to then readjust and not overemphasize that. And when we conducted the research, we did it all remotely. Um, all of the interviews were conducted through Zoom. So this is before Zoom became yeah. you know, such a huge part, of, <laughs> yeah. huge part of the culture. Um, so we were doing all of our research um, through online um, surveys as well as Zoom and other, um, uh, other techniques so that we could conduct it uh, remotely. So building on those personas and, and, and that sense of, okay, who are the folks that are making decisions or the influencers, how does that then translate into that user experience on the web? James, let me bring you in on this. Yeah, so I think, I mean, a main way that we're really trying to think about that is prioritizing those needs and then thinking about sort of what flow and structure they might want to go through. And I think what's really important is paying attention to the customer journey because their first visit to the website um, and their customer journey here could be years and someone making a living decision could they have a series of questions. What's it going to feel like? What's it look like? Do the people look like me? They might have those questions. Much later in the journey, they're going to have a different set of questions like, well, how does this actually work transactionally? How might that happen? And so we need to understand how to kind of balance both the timeline of the journey, but also kind of the mental models. And I think um, Jim did a great job with the research of really understanding sort of what people's mental models were of different types of websites and different attitudes and, and gathering ideas um, that could be really specific. So we, you know, like something that's like a hotel or like Zillow or, um, you know, another property that sort of is a way that people kind of process the information and sort of have expectations. So we're able to kind of capture those expectations and, and ground those actually in interfaces and then pull those forward and get feedback from the users as we went through that process. And that's an interesting mix. I think, you know, we are here at a healthcare conference. We're here at Neshco in Boston, and we're kind of looking at it through that healthcare lens. But Terry, as you said a moment ago, this is lifestyle. These are, these are living choices. And so the context of these decisions is put into things like Zillow and, you know, the same way we might in that next stage of our lives, downsizing, you know, changing our residential options, but wanting that healthcare security. So how do you navigate that mix of, I guess it's real estate, it's healthcare, but then even keep keeping the institutional brand, you know, present. What were the strategies to kind of engage folks at that brand level with messaging, with imagery? Yeah, I mean, that was the crux of the issue and the, and the challenge with the website design is that you have, you know, well, on the one hand, yes, we have senior living communities from, you know, luxury to affordable. We are also a licensed hospital. So we can't, you know, necessarily go too far in either direction. But I think the other thing is that even people who are coming to us with health, for healthcare, you know, it's different from an acute care hospital. This is still something that's very personal and that they're going to, you know, feel like they're a part of a community. And part of our whole, our whole brand message is that, you know, people can live lives of purpose and think and dream and achieve at all stages of life, regardless of, you know, what that is at this moment. And so really leaning on that message that works across all of our services was where we found success. 
great. So consumers are evolving. Web is a never-ending project. What's next? funny you should ask because we're talking about that um, right now, actually. Um, we're looking at probably doing a little bit of a refresh. Um, I think we we feel in general, I mean, you know, as folks who were at the presentation saw, we've had some really great success in increasing our traffic and increasing our inquiries. We just want to freshen things up a little bit, take a look at our homepage. We've actually recently, we've, we've done some heat mapping on the homepage. So we're going to kind of take a look at that and see where that, where that leads us. Uh, a little bit of a refresh there. We're looking at the contact us forms i think they might not be working exactly the way that we want them to to and again i think it's very connected to that that issue of like users don't necessarily know what they want <laughs> and continuing to think about what's the next phase of seo work for us because we we know we've had a lot of success um but we obviously can't just stop doing it <laughs> um so we'll, we'll we'll keep thinking about that and partnering with oho for all of that and so where can our listeners um, see the site? Uh, HebrewSeniorLife.org. That's pretty straightforward, I guess. Yes. <laughs> That's great. Well, James, Jim, Terry, thanks for joining us. Thanks for summarizing this. If we wanted to learn more, obviously we have the, the Hebrew Senior Life URL. Uh, where can the folks learn more about OHO? Uh, you can go to OHO.com and you can check us out there. And the, I think we'll also have the slide presentation if people want to take a look at that as well. And that's OHO.com. You got in early, a three-letter acronym on the URL. Uh, James, Jim, Terry, thanks for spending some time with us and enjoy the rest of the conference and safe travels home. Thank you, you too. Thanks for tuning in. If you like what you heard, please spread the word. Tell your colleagues to tune in for all the awesomeness, then leave a review on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen. This show is produced by Shift Forward Health, the channel for changemakers. Subscribe to Shift Forward Health on your favorite podcast app, and you'll be subscribed to our entire library of shows. See our full lineup at shiftforwardhealth.com. One subscription, all the podcasts you need, and it's all for free. And remember, we might have a lot of work to do in healthcare, but we'll get there faster together. Thanks again. 